Welcome back guys to another episode of Canadian Gamers. I believe we're at episode 95 and today's going to be a very special episode and this is inspired by a few podcasts that was that were done by Kind of Funny Games and Tim Geddes where he interviewed one of those was with Brian Altano and the other one was with Jared Petty and basically they're talking about those dudes gaming history and I figured that would be very interesting to do this with Jared Nickel also because he's quite the gaming historian so we'll start in a few but first I want to do some housekeeping uh, notice I actually said it right this time I didn't say house cleaning I'm very proud of myself we for those of, of you who are interested in our thoughts on the Nintendo Direct that came out yesterday uh, be sure to go on the YouTube channel and check out our direct impressions we actually streamed it on twitch.tv projectcoe and we're not going to do a fanboys episode on it this time because we already did our impressions so go there if you're curious to see that and thanks to everybody Jared and I did put up a call for everyone to go on our Twitch channel and like us there so we could get the affiliation with them and we did it thanks to all your support and we're very thankful for that and now because of that we can actually get some subscribers so we've been talking over the years about patreon and stuff like that but there's actually a much simpler way to support jared there and that's simply to go subscribe to the twitch channel and that's that costs five dollars a month but we're not asking you to actually do that what we're asking you if if you are out there and have an amazon prime account you might not know but you actually also have a twitch prime account and what that does is that gives you a free sub every 31 days, I believe. It might be 30 days. So basically, you can subscribe to any Twitch channel you want. And it doesn't cost you a penny. And it actually gives uh, $5 to that channel. And I believe it's uh, divided 50-50 with the channel and with the uh, with Twitch itself. So if you have an Amazon Prime and you're not actually using your Twitch Prime subscription... Why not go ahead and give it to uh, Jared at his Twitch channel because he's actually been streaming like two or three times a, a week uh, as of late. And I've, I've been enjoying a lot. And we did one with uh, A Link to the Past a few weeks ago. And it was actually like a lot of people joined in it. And it was a blast. Jared actually completed it in one setting. And yeah, we're doing a lot of stuff like that recently. So be sure to go to twitch.tv dash project and that's pretty much it for housekeeping for right now so i'm gonna just give it back to jared for a few seconds just so he can introduce himself okay well there's actually a little bit more housekeeping steven always forgets everything i just wanted to let you guys know that uh, dragon quest 11 our playthrough of dragon quest 11 is now 100 percent complete it will wrap up on YouTube, I think it's the week of May 19th, but if you want to go ahead and check it out right now, like if you're curious to see how it all ends, it ends with episode 48 on Twitch, so I, I encourage you to go check it out, and I'm going to have my PlayStation 4 review, it's all done, just waiting to be uploaded, it's about a, I think it's 15 minutes, 14 minutes, something like that. And, um, yeah, that's going to be coming out relatively soon. Like, within the next couple of days, I'll be posting that. 
And I hope you enjoy that, and you guys will be able to compare it with the 3DS version. And I know a lot of you are going to uh, be asking me, you know, which one I prefer, but I'll save that conversation for another day. So there you go. So what uh, kind of introduction do you want me to do? Do you want me to tell you about my uh, first experience <laughs> sucking my thumb? Or yeah, don't, yeah, don't worry about that. Just a few questions. Uh, do you have a release date for the Zelda playthrough? I do not. I actually do not. I've been purposely holding off on that because our schedule has been totally jammed. However, moving into April... We're dead. Like there's, there's literally no content. I'm gonna have to work on a couple of reviews for you guys. Um, but the Collector's Corner series is wrapping up because I literally have nothing else in this house. <laughs> so I've got, I think, one episode in April, which will be looking at the Dragon Quest CD collection. But other than that, like the content on YouTube here is going to start drawing up again unless we can we can you know get some other some other content out there so i was wondering if i should save it for that like when we're we're what, like you know i could i could post that like on a weekend or i could post that um during our lull i'm not sure i've i've i have no idea uh, i don't know i don't think it will be uh, i don't know we'll see because uh, like i told you i i would like to actually do a link to the past run every month. That's my goal. So your your really goal enjoy is that, so. to have me go through it once a month. Exactly. <laughs> like that, that's how it works down here. I I, I I drop the plans and you you do the work. Perfect. I do have a few switch reviews in the in in the pipeline though. So hopefully that'll help you out. Of course, you'll need to get footage. But yeah, that's okay though. You're used to it yeah, by now. Of course. That's that's. I'm basically the horror of this relationship. <laughs> all right so that's all the housekeeping out of the way uh the reason i wanted to do this with you is that you're old thank you you were born in 78 i believe sometimes it's 77 other times it's 79 you keep changing the date but basically <laughs> you were around for the atari days you probably were lucky enough to see all the star Wars movies in the theaters right no no okay whoa 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 because the, the they were re-released at some point, didn't you go see? Okay, let me let me give you a little bit of an introduction here before things get uh, carried away. So first first off, uh, the very first Star Wars film that I remember seeing was I mean we'll do a formal introduction after if you ask me the right questions, of course. Uh, especially with with my gaming history, I think you'll find that really interesting. But it's funny you say about Star Wars. So my very first Star Wars movie that I remember was 1983's Return of the Jedi. That's it. <laughs> All right, but you did see it in theaters, yeah, right? That's what I'm saying. Like that's, that's like I remember going and checking out Return of the Jedi in 1983. So yes, I'm a geezer. <laughs> oh, that's cool, because for me, it's Phantom Menace, my first one. So I'm not as lucky as you are. But as far as gaming consoles go, you were around for the Atari 2600 and all those other numbers there are, and probably ColecoVisions and all that other crap. What was your first... What? What? Let's go back, all the way back. What is the very first game you remember playing? Okay, well, this is, this is, this is what's really funny, because I... I don't remember the very 
like I know your question was like which which what's yeah, your first memory, memory? I know. but what's funny is I remember the first time going to an arcade so I want to start with that if that's okay and you'll have to cut me off here because like you said I am a little bit of a history buff especially a gaming history buff so I could literally talk for like six hours here so you're gonna have to cut me off so okay so first things first um, I want to finish with my Star Wars thing. So I, in 1983, Return of the Jedi came out, and like all kids at that particular point in time, I was like five years old around the time, and playing, you know, with all the different um, little action figures from Kenner, I think they were from. Uh, I think it was Kenner. No, is it Kenner or who the hell owns the license? Is it Hasbro uh, or? If- from the Netflix series, it seems like it was Kenner that did the okay. original Star Wars right. toys. I, I, okay. And He-Man. Like, that was my life, basically. And it was the life of everyone I knew. There's a couple of things I just want... I just wanted to explain this because... To put things in context. So, at this particular point in time, if you lived in North America and you were a boy, chances were very, very... Chances are very, very high that you were playing with He-Man, you were playing with... Um, Star Wars toys. I mean, that was just it. In, like the early 80s, uh, like that's what you did, essentially. I was not a fan of Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't know anyone that was playing it, even though like, uh, like around that time period, late 70s, early 80s, is when Dungeons and Dragons like really started out. But I, I wasn't a fan. Well, I wasn't a fan. I wasn't, I wasn't exposed to it. So specifically going into gaming here, I just wanted to explain a little bit about that because like if you watch Stranger Things, I was pretty much part of that gang if you remove the Dungeons and Dragons aspect. Okay, like the friends that I had, we were, we were like that, you know, like we were a little ragtag group of friends and arcades back then were literally everywhere and my parents had taken me to an arcade um probably when i was like four i want to say something like that and i remember i don't remember the the like the first the the my first gaming experience i don't i don't remember what my first gaming experience is but i just know that it had to have been in the arcades because when when I think back now, I remember every time that we would go see uh, a picture or a movie or whatever you want to call it, we would go to this arcade, we'd buy our ticket, and instead of going into the cinema, we would always get there early, and we'd go and we'd play in the arcades. And I remember playing Donkey Kong, I remember Space Invaders, I remember all of that. I remember when um, uh, Dragon's Lair was first introduced. And we were like, what the hell? You know, like, this is like a cartoon moving. And it was only years later that I, I discovered that this was like a laser disc technology and all this really cool stuff. But yeah, I, I basically was introduced to video games through the arcades. And the arcades were such a weird place in Canada to experience gaming. It's like about five years after I was sort of introduced, arcades started getting really seedy. Like there'd be kids playing pool, smoking, you know, drugs were getting introduced and stuff like that. Uh, but for me, when I first, first started, it was a very family oriented thing. Like everyone was around, man. It, there's no equivalent to this today. I, I, I wish 
people today, gamers today, could experience what it was like. It was it was magical. Like you would go to this big, essentially think of it like a, a big open area, and you had all these arcade cabinets everywhere. And I was so little that I remember they used to have to get a little stool, and I used to sit on the stool and 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 literally be pressed up against this piece of uh, car not cardboard, but piece of wood. Leaning in and moving, you know, this, this giant at the time, this is what's so funny. Like to give you an idea how small I was, like the joystick is today is like, you know, whatever. But back then I, I, I thought you had to use two hands to move the thing around <laughs> and, and to realize like, no, no, you, you, you use one hand and then you use another hand to push on, on the button. And I remember, um, my uncle used to move the stick around and I would push the button. And that was, that was really, really something. And it's funny because like today I, I look back and I'm like, well, that had to have been like the Donkey Kongs, the Space Invaders. I always go back to those because that's what I actually remember. Pac-Man was a little bit before my time. Like it just, just a bit and even space invaders technically was before my time it's just that i think like the local arcade that i had they just had a space invaders there but there's nothing like it like all i remember is anytime someone had a birthday anytime there was a movie or anytime you had like uh not a family function but like almost like a an outing you'd go to the arcade that was the thing that you did and I don't know if you're going to ask about, like, my first console experience or anything, but, like, I never I never associated the arcades with what we had at home. So, yeah, we had a 2600. That's the uh, first Atari. We did have a 2600 at home. And I had tons of stuff for it, man. Like, tons and tons of stuff. Games that today we consider classic and it's so funny because I didn't know this at the time, but like Berserk, Defender, Joust, uh, Spy Hunter, um, Pitfall, those are the type of games that I actually experienced on the 2600 before I actually experienced them in the arcades. And it, and that's why I never really had this association that they were one and the same thing. Also, you have to remember is Atari was unbelievably simplistic. Like, I mean, crazy simplistic. Whereas the arcades, they were legitimate, like, PCBs. They were, they were full, like, you, you might as well say they were almost like computers that we have today inside those giant boxes which is why as a, a child I, w- I never realized that they were actually the exact same thing you know what i mean i don't know if i'm making any sense or not but like to me arcades were like this magical land that you would go so like uh think of it like uh if you wanted to go play pool today right well you go play pool you you're gonna go out you're gonna go to a billiard you're gonna you're gonna experience that whole thing whereas in your house, yes, yes, if you have a large enough house, you could go and buy a pool table and have that. But more often than not, you're going to have some rickety little thing, you know, that's going to simulate that experience. And so I just never, I never sort of related to to that, that the two things were actually the same thing. It was only 
with the next generation, but I don't want to get too far ahead. So um, with the introduction of the NES, that's when I started my association. But I want to talk about that at some point. You you have to let me talk about Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about Mario a bit because I'm currently uh, playing uh, versus Super Mario Brothers. And I was wondering if your first inspiration in experience with Mario Brothers, not Mario Brothers, but Super Mario Brothers, or you can even talk about uh, Mario Brothers, was in the arcades or was it at home on the Atari or the N- the NES? Okay, so Donkey Kong, I know for a fact, was at Atari. Uh, Atari was arcades. I know that for a fact. Mario Brothers, I know for a fact, was arcade. Super Mario Brothers was the NES. There wasn't uh, an arcade at that particular point in time. Well, I mean, okay, again, I'm I'm generalizing, but at that point in time, I don't remember uh, playing like Super Mario Brothers in the arcade. So I was, I don't want to say I was one of the rare ones. It was probably where I was living at the time. They simply either didn't didn't bring that machine in or they they had something else i just like for me i experienced super mario brothers on the nes and what was so incredible about that that's actually a really interesting story so my dad actually happened to be in new york city and if you guys don't know this when the market collapsed i i was i mean i was a kid right i was a young kid at that time and I wasn't a huge fan of Atari. Like some people were like, oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. It was okay. I thought it was all right. But it like because I didn't have the association with like I didn't realize that arcades were the exact same thing as the Atari 2600, except the Atari 2600 games were dumbed down versions of the arcade games. I didn't realize it was a stupid kid. And some would argue a stupid adult, but anyways. <laughs> and so, just before you move on, I just want to ask you a quick question. Yes. Uh, I don't know much about the late seventies and early eighties. I know that there was the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. I think the ColecoVision was around. I think there were. It started with some Pong machines in in the early seventies. What? First of all, it, is one of your parents was one of your parents into gaming. And second of all, why did they choose to go with a Atari 2600 over uh, ColecoVision, for example? If you know the answer to that. Okay, well, my it, it was my dad. My dad uh, thought it was like he was a big fan of the arcades, and he purchased uh, the 2600 because, like I said, I I was. I was really young. I mean, you can't count 78, 79, 80. You can't really count. You know what I mean? Like, I I have no Mm -hmm. recollection, really. I have, you know, vague memories, like I said, about using two hands on the joystick and stuff like that. Um, But in terms of of why, why the, the Atari over the ColecoVision or vice versa or whatever, I don't think he was like a hardcore gamer type of deal. I believe it was a simple thing was that, well, they like Atari was the first. So I think it was simply a matter of, you know, he probably saw a commercial or there was an ad in, in a magazine or something. And he was like, oh, okay, that's cool. 
And yeah, I heard that most people bought one when they got extremely cheap at one point. So I'm not sure if maybe if that was the case with your yeah, dad. Yeah, maybe, or... maybe. The the reason why, like, whenever I talk about my history, I rarely talk about the Atari 2600, only because I was cognizant. Like, I, I was, I was, well, I was cognizant. I was cognizant like before that, but <laughs> like, I have my memories were fully developed by the time the NES comes out. Like the NES, I remember exactly. Because it was 1984, 1985, um, and by that point, I was already old enough that, you know, when you're like seven, seven years old, you're like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, you, you've got the whole thing. And by that point, I was like living in arcades. I was spending so much time in the arcades, it was unreal. And I, I, by that point, I had realized that, oh, well, this is the exact, you know, these games are exactly the same. And I was born at a weird time. Like, because of when I was born, I experienced the crash, right? So by the time that, that I had, had played some of these games that my father had, the market was already dead. The home market had already collapsed in like 1982, 83, somewhere, you know, around that point that, like, I didn't, it's not like you saw all these things in stores and stuff, you know? And also at that young age, what was I doing in stores? I wasn't really doing anything in stores. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to talk about the NES then. And you're speaking about your dad being in New York in 1984 or 1985. And I believe I know where you're going. I just want to point out that at that time, and I, I'm, I was born in 85, so it wasn't that much different when I was seven or eight like you are. Like There was not really any internet or nothing like that. So did you know... The NES was a thing. Nope. Did one of your friends had one before you? Because that's how most kids found out about the NES back in the okay, day. Okay, so now we're gonna get. Now you're gonna start getting into to Ken and and all of that. And I've probably talked about this guy over the years. Uh, so first things first. My father's in New York City, okay, uh, on business, and Jared's doing what Jared does best, which is probably still playing with his He-Mans. I still do that to this very day. Um, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, Are I you? Am, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I just want to. So, a couple of things happen at at this particular point in time. All right. So the father's off doing his thing in New York City. Jared's at home. And I get introduced to uh, basically a neighbor happens to move move in, and I, I could have sworn I've told you guys this story before. Um, and it, it everything coincided; it felt like it coincided, but maybe you know, maybe my memory isn't what uh, what it used to be or whatever. But long story short, essentially, a friend, well, who would become a friend, is moves in next door. And he has this video game machine. And this is why I said it was the NES where I first saw Mario. And basically, it was pretty unique. If memory serves, okay? I'm, 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 I jumble like 1984 to 1985. Like those two years are kind of jumbled because a lot of different things happen. So this guy comes in from Japan. Long story short, he has the Famicom. And it was, that's when I got introduced to quote unquote importing that doesn't mean not not in the traditional sense but it was the first time that i realized like whoa what the hell is this you know like 
I I had my Atari twenty six hundred, which by that point was like like crap. And in the arcades, like I mean, games were really coming along by this by by nineteen eighty four. Stuff was starting to look very good. You know, that's where like uh, we already had vector graphics. We were getting more and more sprites being pushed on on the screen. And my dad comes back home is like, oh, listen, there was uh, there was this new system out, and it's just so much more powerful than the NES, and that's where I got into the Atari. Uh, yeah, sorry, mean, sorry, right? yes, yes, <laughs> than the Atari, and he, you know, it has Rob the robot, and it had a couple of games with it, and I like I only found out years and years later that he he paid like five hundred bucks or something insane or four hundred or something nuts like that for for like the the whole original package. But it was really cool to know that like I I had one of the launch systems of the NES when it launched in uh, New York, and I had no idea. For my entire childhood, I had no idea. It was only with the advent of the internet in around like, probably, not even with the advent of the internet, but with the internet, probably in like the late 90s, when I actually discovered that like I had played with the launch (laughs) NES and I had no idea, but I do remember vividly remember my first experience with super Mario brothers, because it was the first time I had seen something like that where the screen had scrolled and you had like a world now. And we all take this for granted today with, you know, like your Skyrims and all of this, but you have to remember back, most arcade games, even arcade games, were single-screened games. That's just the way it was. And a lot of that had to do with hardware limitations and just the size of the games. People also don't realize is just how tiny the games were. Like today, my God, your your like Word documents can be, you know, like here. I've got a, I've got a Word document from Canadian gamers, okay? And it's 19 kilobytes. All right? Like that that 19 kilobytes. I don't remember exactly what Atari was. I think that's around 5 2600 games. Well, there you go. <laughs> because there were four, I believe. Yeah, kilobytes. I don't remember. I don't remember what the exact thing was, but yeah, exactly, man. Like like people really don't understand just how little space these games, these game makers had. So when I saw Mario, Super Mario Brothers, I was floored. Like I literally was floored. I was like, well, this is it, you know, like, like we've reached the, the peak. We've reached the, the higher echelon of gaming. It's never going to get better than this. And oh boy, oh boy. And I'll never forget that. And with Ken, that's, uh, that's, that was his name. Um, he he was the guy that really introduced me to role playing games and that whole concept. He's the guy that introduced me to Dragon Quest and and Final Fantasy and and all of that because all of those games hit like in oh boy what was it eighty six I think is when it was here so it would have been let me see actually here I got a computer right in front of me let me see because I want to see when. Um, because it just hit, I think it was the late 80s, mid to late 80s, 1986. There you go. 
Okay, so there you go. So he would have been the guy that would have introduced me. So most likely what happened then was... Let's see when the NES actually went on sale. NES. Let's see. Just want to get my years straight. Because I I know that he got... Where is it? Retail availability. Come on. Where are you? Why do I not see release date anywhere? Oh, that's weird. Um, okay, family comes into the 1984. So it looks like it was out in 1984. No, no, here we go. Okay, Nintendo seeded these first systems to Limited American in New York City on October 18th, 1985. So there you go. So chances are, okay, chances are he brought that back because I remember, like, for Christmas, I basically had nothing. Okay, like I remember that, and it, and I was told that in advance that when he had gotten back, that's what it is. Okay, so now now I'm it's all it's all coming back to me. So the Christmas of 1985 is essentially when when I got that. So he probably got back, tried to hold it, uh, but he was also curious, and I remember that he had he had gotten. Super Mario Brothers, he had gotten the pack-in games for Rob the Robot, uh, which was Gyromite and... Uh, was it was it just Gyromite? I have no clue. Christ, I don't even remember. Uh, I've never been a, a Rob the Robot How dare fan. you? How dare you? Uh, but anyways, so that was, that was that. And then it was the following year. That makes sense. So it would have been the following year... In 1986, when Dragon Quest was was introduced, so he probably he probably came here. Let's see, when was it released? May. So he probably came in like September of '86, something like that. That that would explain it. So that's why I said like uh, when I was telling you like 1984, 1985 were all big blur. Well, it's not 1984, 1985. It's 1985, 1986. And by that point, though, that like. I remember, you know, I remember all of those experiences. And even 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 to this day, I will never ever forget first booting up that Super Mario Brothers. And even with the the manette, the controller, I'll never forget that because the Atari controller, I had grown into it, right? Like uh I played that at such a young age and by the time the NES came out now, you're talking, let's see, if it was 85 um, plus the two years. So yeah, I would have been like seven years old. So I was still young, but I remember being like, oh, this is so much better with the D-pad, which at the time I had no idea what that was, and just the two buttons and everything. And it's so funny because I go back today, like with the NES Classic, and I'm looking at this tiny little controller, and I'm like, good Lord, this is awkward. And it's got those, you know, the triangular edges there in your that poke into your hand. But I remember as a kid, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I will never forget that, how how unbelievably cool it was. But I had no idea what an NES was. And like you said... It's there was no internet, but before there was no internet, there were also no magazines, and this is the thing that a lot of people forget. That well, it's not that they forget; it's that, that we don't really talk about this stuff. And is the fact that like there was no information. Magazines 
started in like 86, 87, 88. I don't even think 86, probably like 19, because the... I have 87 for Nintendo Power in my mind, but I could be wrong. But it's, I, yeah, it, it, it started around there. Well, yeah, and, and even Nintendo Power. Nintendo Power was not a monthly magazine. That's what people forget. The original... Oh, here we go. So the first issue was July 1988. There you go. So, and I bet you... Because it, it, it started where it was like every two months or every three months, and then it became a monthly uh, format. But before that, let's see. Uh, because I remember before the magazine, they had a couple of other things that they were doing. Like, they were, like, little, like, fan, like, letter-type thingies that they used to do. Um, but anyways, that's all besides the point. It doesn't matter. Um, what matters is the fact that there was no news. Like, there was no way of actually getting any information. And I actually have some of my original magazines. Those are all at my parents' place. Um, it would be really fun to dig those out one of these days because I think you get a kick out of it to see before Nintendo Power existed and they were just like a collection of like printed like documents, almost like newspaper documents talking about some of the stuff from Japan because in Japan there were already trade shows and things like that and even in North America, well primarily the United States, there was the Consumer Electronics Show. So, yeah, so that was my introduction to uh, the NES, and it was my introduction to, um, like, Super Mario. I'll never forget that. So funny that, you know, today we all joke about blowing in the cartridges, yet in my mind, I don't ever remember doing that until years later. Like, when it was all new, I don't remember having any problems with it at all. And I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. But it, it's it's funny how time plays tricks on you. And, like, I, I just remember getting the machine, opening it all up, seeing that world, and it was Super Mario Brothers was the first thing that blew my mind. And then after that, the next two were uh, The Legend of Zelda and um, Metroid. Those three games are essentially what forever shaped my, like, gaming taste. And then it would have been um, with Ken... That's when I would have been introduced to Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy, and I thought this was just like, you know, like this was it. This was the greatest. Uh, I'm going to take a few series and just ask you a few questions. First off, I want your opinion on the sequels, because the NES had very different sequels when you take a look at uh, Mario, Zelda, and Castlevania. Like they all, the second game were all very different than the original, and at the time we did not really know. Like just take Zelda for example, we weren't sure if Zelda one or Zelda two was gonna be the style they were gonna use for a link to the past when that was announced. What did you originally think about those sequels? Okay, so I, I gotta tell you a few life events. Um, first off, so. In 1980, uh, oh boy, I don't know, because my parents got divorced and my dad took off or whatever, uh, but I, I got the NES. That's right, suckers. Um, so why is that important? Because for whatever reason, I, I was like really like getting hardcore into, into these games, okay? 
And so, but because of all this stuff that was going on and moving and, you know, all this crap, we didn't have much money. So I love how everybody always like, you know, in hindsight, oh, you, you, you had everything. Well, no, of course not, right? You had birthdays, you had Christmas, but you also had something else. And I like to, I, I, I love Stranger Things so much because of that little group. Because that Rat Pack group reminds me so much of me with my friends where we had Nick, we had Ken, and yes, there was even a girl, and that was Sal, and we were, like, always collaborating with each other on gifts. So this was something that you did. And so what I mean by that is, like, okay, so my birthday's in August. All right, so... Like, again, magazines and stuff like that are kind of hard to come by. Even Nintendo Power, which went when that came out, which, what did I say was? 88? July 88. So, I don't, I don't remember when, like, the first Castlevania, Contra, and all those games came out, but most likely before 88. So, we had no idea. So, what we would do is we would go down to our Toys R Us, and we'd go down to Sears and stuff like that. And Zellers and oh boy, all these crazy places. Because we were old enough that we'd take our bikes and we'd go down. Like, that's why, again, why I love Stranger Things so much because it reminds me so much of those days. <laughs> and so we would, we'd bike down and we would be like, oh my gosh, like this is so cool. This like Contra or this Castlevania or whatever. And so we would strategically align ourselves so that since there were five of us, each one of us would select a game that we were going to ask our parents for for Christmas and for um, for our birthdays. So if there's five of you, two games a year, well, that's ten games, right? That's not bad. That's not bad at all. And you know the way it is. Relatives come in from out of town. They're like, oh, you know, here, here's like, you know, some like 20 bucks, 10 bucks, whatever it was back then. And so we'd pool our money together and we bought so many damn games, man. Like everything from, like I said, from Metroid to Zelda to Punch Out to, to like just tons. The only thing we were missing was a Mega Man fan. That's the only thing. And a quick funny story with that is the reason why I wasn't introduced to Mega Man like at day one is because of that horrible box art. I was like, this this is like <laughs> the worst thing ever. I was like, I'm not going to like, who the hell wants to buy this crap? So anyways. Yeah, because that's the only way you would know about the game is by the box that's art. That's right. You wouldn't know what the game is because you wouldn't have read reviews or seen videos on it. So you would see the box art in the store and would be like, Wow, this looks interesting. Yeah, no, precisely. Contrary with that awful box. Exactly. And something else to note is that back in the day, they didn't have the games out for you. Like I've got Dragon Quest Builders beside me, right? So you, you've got the box art and you flip over the box and you have like a little dis, you know, like a little description of what it is and all this warning and blah, blah, blah. Well, most of the, the game store, well, game stores, most of the stores back then, like these cartridges were liquid gold, right? Like they were flying off the shelves and the NES was essentially a drug. Like everybody, every single kid I knew had an NES. That's why I find it funny when people talk about master system, because what's really funny with that, that's another story. But when my mother um, would remarry, like like later on you know um the 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 man that she she would start seeing and everything he had a son and his son was the only person in the universe that grew up not with an nes 
but with a master system. But that's a whole other story. But so I got introduced to that actually relatively quickly. But anyways, going back to the NES thing, and I don't want to forget about the sequels, is that because these things were liquid gold and, you know, children are hooligans and thieves, they locked them away. So all you could see was literally the box art. You couldn't actually touch it, flip it around, and see the little images. So for most of the games, we literally had no idea what it was we were buying. Like, seriously, all we could do was look at the box art and be like, oh, that looks cool. Let's pick that up. And that's exactly why we picked up Punch-Out! Because I was like, oh, cool, Mike Tyson, that's Dream Mike, Iron Mike! And at the time, this guy was, like, breaking records everywhere with Olympics, with everything. And, like, he was all over the place. And so I was like, well, I got to have that, right? Um, I'm going back now to uh, – I want to make sure I don't lie to you guys. Uh, yeah, so Metroid, right? Nintendo, I don't know if, like, depending on you guys, your age, but a lot of those really early NES games – had a depiction of the in-game graphic as the original uh, sort of, like, art. So, for for example, like Mario Brothers, right? You see a picture of Mario as he's actually about to die. Um, in, what, what are we looking at? Zelda was a whole other thing. I'll get into that in a sec. But, like, with Metroid, you actually see Samus shooting one of the enemies. And I was like, oh, that looks cool, you know? And also... I was I was floored with every game that was coming out on the NES. I was more and more and more impressed because the definition of the characters. And what I mean by that is, on the Atari, your your character didn't animate really; like it just moved around, and then that was that. Whereas on the NES, like you could make out that like your character had legs and stuff, which was amazing. With the Atari, you had to use your imagination. With the NES, it's like, well, I no longer really have to use that much of my imagination. So anyways, all this to say that without a good box art, you would not buy the game. It's as simple as that because we had no way of knowing. Zelda was one where I was just like, well, it looks cool. It's gold. Like, that's it. That's all it was. I was like, I love gold. So, so that was, uh, that was essentially that. Castlevania, I don't think, uh, I don't think I need to tell you anything about that. Like, to this day, it actually, uh, it, it remains one of my favorite NES boxes of all time. Like, I was just like, that looks so badass with Dracula in the background and the whip swooshing and all that. So anyways. So we picked up the games, we traded amongst each other. Well, we didn't trade, but we would lend back and forth till everybody had a go. And that's how I got to experience so many games. It wasn't that I was a multi-millionaire. It's called I was a smart kid. <laughs> and my little rat pack uh, basically was not stupid. So anyways, going to your original question about sequels. So what ended up happening was, you know, in- Nintendo Power is introduced... We got it from issue one. One of us got it. I don't remember who or whatever. And then finally, finally, we got to understand some of the games that were coming out, which was a really huge deal. Today, you can find out the last time Brad Pitt had a dump by just following his Twitter feed. But back in the day, man, like it was, it was, you had to fight to get knowledge, man. Like it was not easy. So Nintendo Power changed everything. It really, really did. And I also want to make something very, very clear to a lot of you guys. 
during the Atari days and even the arcade days back then, it was commonplace to basically keep games exactly as they were and slap on another moniker to the name of the game. So, for example, you could have... Uh, Pong, Super Pong, Ultra Pong, Omega Pong, Pong the Return, and all of those type of games were very, very similar. It was rare that you got experimental stuff. There, there were a few things, but for the most part, like if you play Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man, it was, it, the concept was exactly the same thing. Yes, there would be new features or new things would change. You know, it was basically though, mostly color swaps especially at home that they, they experimented much more in the arcades but at home this is why the industry collapsed is because it got oversaturated with the same stuff over and over and over and over and over again so anyways when nintendo power started highlighting some of the upcoming games like what was the do you remember the the infamous one where um the nintendo power with dracula's head yeah, there was Dracula Tree. Yeah, was that's Castlevania okay. Tree, that's what yeah. that's what I wanted to know. Which Castlevania? No, no, it wasn't. It's Castlevania Two: Simon's Quest. Yeah, it is. I'm looking at it right now. Okay, um, but it doesn't matter. It, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. I just thought that cover was badass. Um, my point being that at the that particular point in time, we we didn't really have a basis for sequels. And this is why I get a kick out of the fact that people are like, oh, you know, like these are the black sheeps and of the, uh, of the market and blah, blah, blah. Not really, because the Legend of Zelda gets introduced and you're like, wow. Like for me, that was another one. That was another one where I, I, I was like, it doesn't get any better. You know, like this is it. Like as good as Yar's uh, revenge was on the 2600, this, just destroys everything like this is this is like this is the greatest game ever made and i had just said that like it felt like two weeks earlier with super mario brothers where i was like well this is the greatest game ever made and like I, with the nes i was saying that repeatedly like the first time i played castlevania i was like well this is it you know this is the greatest game ever made uh, i played punch out for the first time i was like this is the best sports game ever made and like it was just over and over and over and over again but i had been conditioned that when when Super Mario Brothers 2 came out, for example, I had been conditioned at that particular point in time to expect Super Mario Brothers 1, but with new levels. That's what I that that's what I expected. But when I got Super Mario Brothers 2, everybody's like, oh, it was crap, or oh, it was so different. But not really, because what was Super Mario Brothers? Really? Well, Super Mario Brothers was essentially a follow-up to Mario Brothers, except in a, it had, like, its own world. So as a kid, I was like, well, okay. You know what I mean? Like, whoop-dee-doo. Like, it's fine. Who cares? Like, it's, it's, it's a different take. But the thing I remember the most about Super Mario Brothers 2 was the visuals. I was like, this looks stunning. Like, this looks so much better than the original Mario Brothers, I was uh, Super Mario Brothers, that I was like, holy crap. The only one that I was somewhat, and I'm going to say that again, somewhat disappointed in, was The Legend of Zelda, and only because I felt that it wasn't as long as the original. Like, the original felt like a huge game. It felt like this gargantuan, massive, open-world Grand Theft Auto back in the day. And when the second one came out, 
it 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 threw me for a loop because I was a huge fan. I still am a huge fan of Castlevania and Metroid. That I was like, oh, this is wicked, you know. Like now I get to be a, I can play as Link, and he's got all these moves. And again, I had already been introduced to Dragon Quest, and and I believe uh, maybe not Final Fantasy at that point, but. So, like, I loved the, the RPG elements that they were slowly introducing. I thought it was wicked. It, the only thing with Zelda 2 was the fact that I had felt that, like, it, it felt like a smaller game in, in overall scale. That was it. But, uh, with Castlevania 2, I wasn't disappointed. I thought that was brilliant. Like, I, I thought this was wicked. You took everything I loved about Castlevania and you made it into this giant open world now where, like, I can go everywhere. And it was very similar to, to Zelda 2. And I don't remember which one came first or which one, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But both of I'm going to cut you off here. Okay. I, I want to talk about Castlevania 2. I, I don't know if we're going to get to it, but I, I, Never really played that game, but I saw the episode of the Angry Video Game Nerd of it. And there's a part of that. I want to ask you if you figured it out by yourself where, I don't know, I think you had to equip a blue orb and then summon a tornado or something. Did you figure that out by trial and error somehow or did you use Nintendo Power? What's the deal with that game? Because you seem to love it, but at the time, many did not. Well, many did not. According to whom? Yeah, you're right because I wasn't there to poll the people, but I, I know that the, whenever there was the the night came, there was the curse and the the screen would stop. I I think there was some flaws that seems that the YouTubers anyway that I've seen now don't really like. Yeah, exactly. Like I think I think a lot of people maybe at the time back then you didn't know any better exactly or no, it, that's it. is it really no honestly I, it was that it was the fact that like you didn't really know any better and and these games were trying different things they were all like experimental and it was as simple as that it, like this was just an experiment now i want to answer your question though because i think it's it's very very valid and no i am not a genius i am not i, I i'm sorry if i disappointed you uh, and st- same thing with Zelda. People tend to forget this. But Zelda, if I'm not mistaken, the original Zelda had... Uh, I know A Link to the Past had the hint book. I don't remember. I think the original did as well. Um, but with Castlevania 2, it was the, the my gang. It was my little gang. I, I would go to one of them and be like, how in the hell do you get past X, Y, or Z? And then one of them would be like, oh, that's... Yeah, you got to equip the you know, whatever it is, blah, 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 blah. And I'm positive, they never admitted it, but I'm positive that one of them had read it in Nintendo Power or or in school. Did you ever call the helpline? No, I never called the helpline, but that also has to do with most likely the finances at the time. Like we, we for for a, a period of about five years, we were really not in a good place, like family-wise there. Well, not family, but financially. So that would have been, those five years would have been when I would have used it the most, but I had friends. So the, that was the good thing. You see, that's the other thing that I'd like to just touch upon is the fact that gaming was so much more social back then than it is today in a radically different sense 
than you think today. Today, when you think social gaming, you're thinking, you know, being on Xbox Live or on the PlayStation Network or what have you or on Skype or whatever. But back then, it was like these games were literally impossible. Like you, you couldn't beat some of them without someone reading or knowing or, or you know, what you had to do. It's just like Zelda 2, having to kneel down. Like, how do you, who knows that, right? And so we were always talking about games. Anytime people would get together, that's all you would do is, is talk about this specific part of some specific game of how in the hell do you get past it? And if by some miracle you were the guy that either read it first or figured it out first, then you were like the coolest cat on the playground there because you were like, well, I know how to get to the next area. All you got to do is wait till the, the sun is up and then kneel and you'll be fine. <laughs> like it was like bragging rights type of a thing. And, and this was really prevalent in the arcades, man, because like back then, that was that's where everyone hung out was at the arcade so people would be chatting about the NES games that you know that they were playing or struggling with while they were at the arcades playing some of these at that point gorgeous games that were coming out okay so i just realized that if we're going to do your entire gaming history this is going to be a 10 hour podcast so we're going to have to probably not Go all the way to the SNES, but maybe just talk a bit about a few more NES games. I want them because you also have some interesting stuff. You could probably talk about the arcades, the revival, I guess, when Street Fighter 2 came out in 91 or 92 and stuff like that. There's tons that you could talk about. Maybe we'll do a part two eventually, seeing what the response is to that. But I want to... Just move on from the NES. I know there's tons of games we haven't talked about in the NES, but that too would be like a three-hour podcast. I want to quickly mention like about Sega because for me, I I grew up with the Nintendo and a, a SNES. I never had a Sega, and I find that the comparison with the SNES and the Genesis is ridiculous. In my mind, it's not even close, but I... From experience, it seems that if you grew up with a Genesis, you prefer it. And if you grew up with an SNES, you prefer it. I have a feeling that you, with your ragtag group of friends, like you said, you had uh, access to both. Either you had them both or one of your friends had a Genesis, you had a SNES, whatever the case may be. So maybe you can talk a bit, not necessarily in an hour, but maybe 15, 20 minutes about the console war that was the SNES versus the genesis okay well now now you're getting into we we really should do a part two of this because now you're 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 gonna get into some crazy stuff i'm just writing a few things down here um that would have been eight nine ten eleven and this would have been 13 so okay um uh, one of the gang, I think it was Nick, bought a Genesis in 1989. So I would have, de- I would have been at that particular point. I would have been around 11 years old, if my math is correct. And I was very impressed, man. Very, very impressed. The thing is, if you didn't, I, I think you. It's not so much that you needed to grow up with. A, a Genesis. It was more if you experienced it when 
the NES was king. That's what changed everything. And that's what, that's why people hold the Genesis in, in such a, such a warm regard is because there was nothing else out, man. Like, there was nothing else. There was just like, what else was there? The master system, no one heard about. With my stepbrother, who was younger than me, when he had the master system, that's all he knew. But when I introduced him to all the games that were on the NES, like he was floored. He was like, well, they don't look as good and they don't sound as good. But dag nabbit, there's so many games on the NES of like this vastly superior quality that he like jump shipped immediately. That said though, when, when I was first experienced a, like altered beast and stuff, I was floored because again, you're, you gotta, you have to change the way you think of gaming to have a conversation like this for real because to all you guys listening, for well, at least to a lot of you, I'm sure, gaming has always been a console. It has always been a portable, and that's it, or a PC. Like, that's your, that, that's gaming to you. But for many of us, those were all secondary experiences to the arcade. The arcade was your first love, was your first crush. You lost your virginity to the arcade. And, and no matter how good the, the NES was, it wasn't the arcade. And in the arcade, there was one company name that was synonymous with quality arcade video games. And that was Sega. Afterburner and, and like, you know, Outrun and all these kick-ass games always had this Sega, like, logo there. But, for 99% of the population at that time, they didn't realize that Sega was actually making consoles. Like, they had no idea that the Master System was around. So I exclude that, and I look at it like the Genesis was essentially their first hurrah into the console wars. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, it was just a fluke because everything else they did was garbage. That is factually incorrect. Because all people are looking at when they, they make a claim like that is you're looking at their portables and you're looking at their consoles and everything. But you got to look at where this company really made a name for themselves. And that was in the arcades. So when Altered Beast gets announced and when um, – what was the other big one at launch? Uh, oh, I can't. Golden Axe? Yeah, Golden Axe. Thank you. And Golden Axe. Like, you're like, no way. Like, these awesome, awesome arcade games. And yes, today they're simplistic, and of course. But these awesome arcade games are coming home. And not only are they coming home, but they're coming home in in a, a pretty damn good package. And my God, look at that that controller. It's got a third button. That's amazing. And so, you know, joking aside... That was the appeal. And I don't know why when I read a lot of history articles and and impressions of the time, I don't know why people don't talk about that. Because I, I think my explanation is sound. I think like to someone who didn't experience it, 
I, I think I like it makes sense, right? You went to the arcades. Everybody was in the arcades at that particular point in time, and there's one company whose name you just keep seeing over and over and over that's making these really fun, awesome games. And now suddenly they're bringing all of these games that you love to play in the arcades home, and you can only get them on the Sega Genesis, and and that's it. You know, like to me that was like, wow, this is awesome. Now where just a quick question: Was Sonic the Hedgehog in the arcades? No, like I personally no, don't know. No, that was a okay. that was like their answer to uh, mascot. You know, like having having their own mm-hmm. thing. Um, but from day one, that was why the Genesis was successful. I mean, I'm not going to get into the whole reason, you know, with with Sonic and all this jazz. But I mean, that's why people talk so fondly of it. I, and that is it. It's as simple as that. The root cause of why is to do with that. With Nintendo, it wasn't bringing the arcade experience home. Yes, there certainly were tons of arcade games that were released on the NES. But the secret to the success of the NES was the fact that they made console games. You had your Castlevanias, and yes, there was an arcade of Castlevania, but it was Haunted Mansion. It wasn't the same thing. You had your Mega Mans. You had all these games that were designed for the NES, and that, that is what ultimately differentiated Nintendo from Sega from day one all the way until the Dreamcast, like, basically collapsed Sega. Like, that was it. It was Sega was constantly focused on the things that they did best, which was making incredible arcade games. Go ahead today and play Crazy Taxi in the arcade. You're going to have a blast. Go play House of the Dead today. You're going to have a blast. But when they brought these experiences home, it wasn't the same thing. Yeah, they're fun, and they've always been fun, but it's not the same. You don't have that social aspect. You don't have this big, huge machine that you're sitting inside and, you know, just... The interaction just isn't the same. And from day one of the Genesis, no matter how cool it was, it was, again, bringing the arcade experience home. And with the Super Nintendo, when the Super Nintendo came out, it was about refining the home console experience. And I like to say that that sums up the console wars to those of us that did, that were lucky enough to have experienced both growing up that was it. So to me, of that generation, that's the way I explain it. If you are a huge fan of arcades, you're going to love the Sega Genesis. If you love home console games, you're going to love the Super Nintendo. And because I was surrounded with the NES and um, the, the Famicom at a young age, plus the arcades, the truth is I love both platforms there is a reason why i bought every single sega saturn game like i didn't do that just because it was the cool thing to do it's because it was a, a great way of bringing our the arcade experience home but when people ask me which system should like i go to should i get like a, a snes or should i get a a genesis i'll always ask well it depends on 
on what kind of games you like. If you like role-playing games, if you like console-based platformers and stuff like that, then of course you're going to get your your Super Nintendo because you're going to get your Castlevanias, your Zeldas, your F-Zeros, your Marios, your, you know, your Chrono Triggers, Secret of Mana, uh, Dragon Quest, your, you know, on and on and on and on. But by the same token, I can do the exact same thing on the Genesis with all the different arcade games that came out at the time. So I, I think that explains the console wars to me. All right. Well, that's actually a perfect way, I believe, to end this because I know if I ask you another question, you're going to go on for another 20 minutes and it, this will never end. And I don't want this to be too long. But let me know in the comments if you enjoyed this and if you want a part two of this. Uh, maybe at one point we'll do mine. So we have tons of options here and I hope you guys enjoyed this. And of course, this is just a small portion of Jared's history, but as you can see, he has a lot to say and that's why we'll probably end up doing a part two. I had a lot of fun doing this, Jared. So let me know how you want to end this. Well, okay. I'll just say that uh, this was actually, this was a lot of fun. I, I love talking about those particular days, especially about the arcades and, and your, the ultimate question of what you said about the console wars, uh, because I think it's a topic that like history has made kind of insane. And we could actually do a very good discussion about that, <clears throat> excuse me, about the console wars post Sonic. Because that's when everything changed. And and I would actually like to have that conversation one day. But let us know. Let us know what you guys think. I, I'm right with Steven. I'd love to do this with him too. I think this would be kind of interesting because his perspective is going to be radically different than mine. Because, you know, his, him growing up during a totally different era is going to make a, a really big impact. But I will say this. All of you guys should really appreciate the games that you have today because... Let me just say it really like I think what is it Uncharted says the 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 Latin saying is basically greatness from small beginnings. Well, gaming as a whole has essentially lived up to that motto. You cannot believe how basic and how simple and how humble this industry was when it started. And yet look today. It's pretty, pretty amazing how far we've come. So with that, I'm going to say thank you all for joining. Thank you, Stephen, for this. This was a very good idea. I had a really good time. And we'll see you all shortly. Take care, everyone.